Okay, we're back, we're live, we're having a good time on a given Monday morning. We're here to talk about energy, uh, energy 808, cutting edge. And so we have Marco Mangelstorf, who is our regular contributor, and we have Jenny Potter, who is a commissioner on the PUC, who is also kind of like a regular contributor too. Welcome to the show, both of you guys. Thank you, Jay. Mahalo, Jay, always a pleasure. Marco, uh, you know, maybe you could take a moment and introduce Jenny more fully. Would you do that? I can do that. Uh, never get tired of introducing Jenny. Uh, you know, I have a bit of a confession to make. I'm, I'm fond of all, all three of our Hawaii PUC commissioners, but I have a particular fondness for Jenny. Jenny and I, uh, uh, it's not as if we go back decades, but in the years we do go back, uh, it's, uh, it's a relationship and a friendship that I so value. And uh, I'm so appreciative of uh, all the work that you do, Jenny, and the rest of the staff there at the PUC, Leo, Jay, Caroline, the Daves, as I call them, Parsons, and uh, Matisse, and a whole bunch of other people I don't know the names of, but just uh, so much appreciation for what you guys do, and so much appreciation for you on this Monday that you are joining us uh, again. So um, thank you, thank you, thank you. Great way to start uh, start my uh, beginning of the week here. So. PBR, performance-based regulation. Uh, the commission issued a, a decision and order back in December, a little more than a month ago. And a lot of people have been digesting it, Hawaiian Electric, various commentators in the state, outside the state. So the question I wanted to start with you, please, Jenny, is what was it like on the inside? What's it been like on the inside of the commission dealing with something as big, as complicated, as impactful, as groundbreaking that uh, PBR is here in Hawaii and across the country. What was it like for you and for the commission dealing with this and putting out this order? Marco, we spent over two years, we spent about two and a half years um, on the process, and that included a very extensive stakeholder process, which we, we received a, a lot of accolades for um, during the, the whole proceeding, uh, was recognized as one of the, um, the innovators of, of regulation by SEPA um, and for, for our practices within engaging with our stakeholder uh, community. And, but without them, there, there would be no PBR. Um, they, honestly, the contributions and the, the time and the commitment from our stakeholder community has been um, just over the top. It's not anything that I ever would have expected people to do you know, sort of, I, I know they're paid, you know, within their job, but this is, this is above and beyond any type of, of work that I would, I would expect coming from this type of community. Um, and then, and because there was so, such a tremendous amount of input that came from that group, we held a number of working groups um, and technical conferences and status conferences where we would review the material. There were thousands and thousands of pages that were filed, which was daunting and completely overwhelming for our staff, of course, to go through and to try and, and process. Um, and finally, to get to a point where we could find consensus among in the record uh, through all of those pages and all of those all of that contribution, the workshops, et cetera, to find consensus among that stakeholder community 
that aligned with the vision of the commission, uh, it was was a tremendous lift. Um, our, our staff worked tirelessly for months in order to prepare that decision in order. It wasn't anything that we just threw together at, you know, in December. It was something that we've been working on um, months for months um, and, and trying to gather the information through information requests in order to, to come to those conclusions. Um, and ultimately, you know, the commission did uh, go out on a limb on a, a number of items where I don't think that the stakeholder community quite expected and certainly the utility did not. Um, and in, in that case was the was just the case of the, the customer dividend. Um, the customer dividend as proposed in the original um, decision and order was about $23 million a year levelized over five years. Um, and that um, was uh, definitely raised some eyebrows uh, among the investor community as well as the utility, as you can imagine, that you know that the um, the, the revenue requirement would be reduced by such a significant amount uh, that uh, that perhaps that wasn't something that would be attainable for for the for the utility, and so we received a motion for reconsideration from the utility um, that and had uh, also feedback from. The, the working groups and ultimately the, the commission did decide to lower that amount of the customer dividend um, to to I guess uh, to appease if you will you know the the investor community and to make it such a, uh, a less of a direct um, uh, um, hit I guess to the revenue requirement. Why do you need a, a customer dividend at all? Why don't you just lower rates? And that's that's essentially what we were trying to do is is recognizing at the beginning that we have the highest rates in the United States, uh, and the customer dividend was the the the, the whole intention above it was to reduce rates from the get go. We had committed to day one savings for customers um, in this proceeding, so that was one of our our main objectives was to see you know re let's reduce the rates right from the outset. Um, and and ultimately um, that 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 we did it, it just not as much as I think that we had originally intended to do. You know, people may not understand PBR. Can you can you get a, give us a handle on where where you see it going? Because I mean, it's it's a term that you guys are actually carving yourselves. You're, you know, you're like first in the country on this, uh, and uh, you have to see it. You have to have a vision of it, and you have to see where you can. Where you can change things to make it work for everybody, because you know if you change something over here, you're going to have a, a an effect over there. Absolutely, absolutely. Yes, great question, Jay. I think one of the the first things you know that I um so I'll, I'll make two points here. The first um, being this is not. Uh, this isn't uh, performance-based rate making. Performance-based rate making is typically in response to the changes in how customers use electricity. So, for example, energy efficiency, or they adopt the um, DERs, uh, distributed energy resources. And so there needs to be adjustments to like decoupling in order to address some of those discrepancies that utilities would find. This is performance-based regulation and that is a whole different this is 
we're reevaluating how we regulate utilities and, and the, a regulatory compact is a thing of the past. It is something that just, it's a hundred years old. It, 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 there's no, we have no business committing to saying, you know, you make these prudent investments and you have a guaranteed return on them if, if it, as long as they are prudent. Um, we're, we're looking at a place where we have, you know, O&M expenses, that are now you know, like software as service, which can no, they're no longer, it's capital investments, but now instead we're looking at more O&M type investments. Um, so, and the, the idea is to really align the utilities, in, the, the way that the utility operates with the public interest, with public policy. And so there, there's a lot of disincentives, right? For, for utilities to, to, to gold plate things, to build more generation facilities that may not, that might be a little bit more gold plated than normal. And so we're trying to move away from those types of incentives and say, look, there's a whole other suite of options for you to make money if you perform well. So if you, if you, for example, improve your interconnection speed, which was one of the, the, the at the rate that you interconnect your customers, then we'll offer you uh, an incentive to do so, to, uh, in, in this case, a $2 million incentive. But if they backslide and they don't put in, you know, they don't um, interconnect customers as quickly, they'll be penalized a million up to a million dollars. So those are, that's an example of a performance incentive mechanism that's part of the performance-based regulation framework that really does try and align those two, you know, utility interests with the public policy interest. Is Price to become essentially a partner with the utility and management because you're you're looking at everything and you're um, you're you're making a rule and then you don't know if it's going to work exactly so you have to change it you have to tune it all up and one of the you know this came up in an earlier show with Marco and me and and that is um, so we how often do you have to actually step in in order to tune it up so the so the, the you know the tune up is <laughs> Is, is aligned, as your word, aligned with um, what you intend to do. Because sometimes you, you go this way and, and maybe you have a reaction that way and then you have to come back in. Uh, right. My recollection is that you don't plan to come in right away, but how often do you plan to come in again and tune up what you did? It, it, it should be five years. We, we don't want to touch this for five years because it's kind of like changing the rules, you know, as it, like, here's the rules to the game. And then, but wait, and the first quarter, we're going to come in and we're going to actually change what those rules are. And now you need to adapt. And so ultimately we want to give them five years to perform and, and essentially like set it and forget it, you know, and as much as we can, but we will be very closely monitoring, you know, how they're doing. And if, there are there are guardrails in place in this in this um, decision and order that will help protect the utility from any type of underperformance. But on the same rate, that goes both ways. If they overperform, then there's there's because it, it, it's you know it's like a, we want them to to be within this bandwidth. We don't want them to you know to to go outside of it to the downside, but nor to the upside because that comes at the expense of the consumer. That means people that you know, they're paying too much. The utility is making too much money. So we need to to 
ensure that, you know, we do have those guardrails in place. Um, we have what's called an off-ramp as well. So if there's, um, you know, there's, there's challenges to their, um, to their credit rating, for example, if they're downgraded, then that would be an, a, a reason for us to reevaluate the, 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 the mechanism to reevaluate PBR as a whole. So you might come in earlier than that. By, by the way, in terms of the uh, you know the, the, the timeline on this, uh, you were appointed uh, to the PUC in what 2018, yep. and your term is going to expire in 2024. Yep. Maybe you'll be reappointed. You know, I mean, you can, <laughs> Maybe. You can hope for that, right? Uh, <laughs> but that means that the five years will end after your term is up. Am I right about this? That's right. Yeah. So, you know, um, so it, I mean, to the extent that you're in touch with all of this and the, the existing PUC is in touch with all of this, it may happen after your, I mean, the reevaluation may happen after your watch. How interesting that is, eh? It is. And, and Jay as well. I mean, I'm thinking, you know, Jay's looking at this and he's thinking this will expire three years after my term is up, you know? So, <laughs> yeah, so it, it is, it's, we're, we're, you definitely recognize that we're setting this up for the next commission. Um, there's, a, there's actually a lot of decisions that we're making like the performance. Um, I'm sorry, the, um, Public Benefit Fee Administrator, the the Energy Efficiency Administrator, we're making decisions. What you know that will happen long after we leave. You know, so it's 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 interesting because you 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 we do have to do our job with that mindset. You know, of like, well, this is we're we're not going to be here for when when the clock t expires for some of these. So how do we set up the next commission um, to to be in the best position possible. So that's a good point though, Jay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah very, it's an interesting to, to look at it that way. Marco, why don't you go to the next topic? Wouldn't that be good? We're, we're about halfway through our show time. Yeah, I would like to do that, Jay, but I just one more question on, on PBR uh, for Jenny, and then we can move on to uh, from PBR to DER, and then we'll all be BFFs, uh, which is, <laughs> so there's a fairly thin stratum of which three of us are part of that thin stratum that is into this alphabet soup, acronym soup of PBR, PIM, BFF, so forth and so on, right? Uh, Jenny, could you kind of encapsulate to, to the, the many, the vast majority of Hawaiian Electric's 400,000 plus ratepayers, people who pay HECO, HELCO, or MECO bill, please explain to them in language that's simple, direct, concise, why in the world should they matter? Why should it matter to them, this transition from cost of services, the antique, the antique model, right, to performance-based regulation? Why should it matter to them? Absolutely. Um, so, so one of cost of service model is is like you said, it's it's archaic. It's it's no longer serving its purpose in terms of providing customers with uh, a utility that can um, operate efficiently and effectively um, under a lease cost model. Um, I think what, what we've seen is cost overruns and we, we found that in the management audit that was completed um, this last year, uh, the, where there was a tremendous amount of savings on the table uh, for, for consumers that, um, that hadn't, you know, hadn't been realized for, for years. You know, so there's uh, there's there's a real distinction between how how to operate a business that's a monopoly and how competitive businesses are run. 
And in order to sort of, uh, they, I, I, I always, this is one of my favorite sayings. If I do a good job, they, what doing a good job means for me means that I no longer have a job. So it means that I have taken a monopoly and I've made it fully competitive or I've made it operate as though it's fully competitive. And so that means that there's cost control measures that are in, are embedded in the, in the actual operations and that the utility is running op, optimally, optimally, right? And, and so for, for a consumer, for a rate payer, you know, to know that they're, their dollars are being spent in an efficient and effective way to deliver the energy to their homes is of greatest importance. And I think that what, what we've seen um, to date, you know, is we, we see these high electricity rates. We don't entirely understand why they're so high. We're, we're told that it's the cost of oil, but there's a lot of components that go in, like you said, in the cost of service model that don't necessarily um, aren't necessarily consistent with the way that we need to be doing business anymore. Uh, you know, we need to make these regulated entities look a lot more like competitive entities. Right. Well, Thank just you. a little Thank more you. on PBR, because uh, it's so interesting, this discussion. Um, what, what effect does this have on utilities other than Hawaiian Electric? I mean, are we, are we, uh, does PBR also relate or not to, uh, to, why island utility? Um, and if it does, how is that different? If it doesn't, why not? You're, you're, I just, the, only, the only island that it does not relate to is KIUC, and KIUC has its own board of directors and comes in typically under GO7 applications and when they want to make large investments in something like hydro, <laughs> pumped hydro. Um, it's the the uh, the Hawaii Island and Maui Electric are also, and Malakai and, and Lanai are also all part of this PBR regime. Uh, the way that we structured our decisions and even the PIMS when we were looking at the performance incentive mechanisms is 70% of those penalties and rewards go to HECO and then Miko and Helco get 15%. So, and that's sort of a, the distribution of energy and revenue um, and seem fairly consistent way to apply it. So that's a great question, Jay, but yes, it goes across the board. Mm, good, well, because the fundamental points you were describing really do seem to apply to all the utilities in the state now and, now and forever. Mm -hmm. um, let, let me go on to uh, electric utility transformation. So I like transformations because transformations, uh, you know, always lead or at least theoretically lead to a better place. On the other hand, transformations are, you know, they're always stressful and uh, sometimes they don't go the way you want. So what, you know, where does that fit in your agenda these days? So I think, I think what we're looking for the utility to, to do uh, at this point at this juncture is to start thinking outside of the box. So instead of doing, um, you know, these these large scale and you know utility investments, to be thinking about 
looking at this point, just even looking at pilots, um, so to where where they can do make ready infrastructure for electric vehicles, um, and and see if there's revenues that can be produced there. You know, they procured all of the the poles from the telephone company and are are using are collecting rent for using those. Um, the I think uh, the the idea idea of getting into different types of business models such as non-wires alternatives or microgrids or um, you know even even sort of lease type options for um, different types of assets would be uh, would be to the benefit of people they need to diversify you know how they're conducting their business which is part of you know that the idea of transforming them into a more competitive um, marketplace player um, instead of competing directly though with our local you know distributed energy resource providers or our local because that's been where the rub has been for the last several years as we've seen everybody's trying to play in the same pool and you know over the and fighting over the same toys and we need and we need to actually look at a, a different different swimming pools here um, and so <laughs> I guess I want to go swimming. <laughs> uh, Marco, we, uh, we, we have uh, maybe a little less than 10 minutes left. Do you want to move on to another topic? Or sure, do, sure. Do thanks, Jay. Uh, talk about transformation some more? Well, I think we've, uh, I mean, we can transform ourselves for several hours, I think. Uh, but uh, given the limited time, let's, let's move on to distributed energy resources, which uh, you mentioned a few moments ago, Jenny. So, Rooftop solar, of course, has been near and dear to my heart for a very, very long time. And I can report that uh, after having completed the review of all the PV permits issued across Hawaii's four counties over the past handful of days, that we were overall, the whole state, we're up about 10%, yippee, compared to 2019, or that's, compared to 2019. 2019 was up a little bit from 2018. So this represents two years past 2018, 2019, or 2019, 2020, excuse me, uh, where we've had some growth, not phenomenal growth, but nonetheless, I'll take any growth better than no growth. So where does, where does DER fit in, in your, in your view, Jenny, and in the commission's view in terms of the level of importance? I mean, uh, it's kind of easy perhaps to, to think that utility scale plus storage and uh, behind the meter or rooftop solar plus storage somehow is in competition with each other. And it seems to me that we need to double down essentially on both, which is I think is what we're doing. But I'd like to hear in your own words kind of where you place the importance of distributed energy resources in the overall strategy and plan and execution of uh, reducing our dependence on imported fuel. Yeah. Marco, this is this subject is near and dear to my heart. Um, this is one of the, the, the most important dockets to me. Um, and I am assigned commissioner on, on this proceeding. What we've done is we bifurcated, not, not even bifurcated, we trifurcated <laughs> um, the, the proceeding into advanced rate design, um, technical track, which is working out the issues with 1547, IEEE 1547. Hopefully people know what that is. Um, and then uh, we have the program track. Um, the, there's a fair amount of attention on the program track at this point. Um, one of the things that we've done and that we've noted is for the first time in our commission history, we've asked the, 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 the DER parties came to us and they said, we want the model. We want 
HECO's model. We want the resolve model that they're using in order to, um, you know, to um, evaluate DERs in the um, IGP process. And in the, that's important to us within this proceeding because we need to know how to value, what the value of these DERs are for our program evaluation and development. And so the, the commission, to everyone's surprise, said, okay, let's do it. You got to give them the model. And so the DER parties got the model from HECO and they're working very closely with the consultant who's very familiar with the model, but the, you know, it, 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 a pretty price tag. I mean, this, this was not inexpensive. So the DER parties are in this, they've got money committed. They're working incredibly hard trying to develop programs that will be a, a standard program that will allow DERs to interconnect um, that will be instead of, you know, these very, you know, uh, I guess uh, uh, CGS plus G C CSS, you know, but a more a, a more basic type of program that will either allow export, hopefully, and then you know, of course, self generation. Um, the the challenges I think that we're they're up against still are are interconnection issues, which have been um, the the companies have worked very very hard. Uh, over the last couple of months and trying to streamline their interconnection practices. Um, they've created a quick connect program where they're, they're trying to bypass several of the steps in order to get a customer online within like 10 days. Um, as you know, the, 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 the typical, the average was, is around 40 days for the companies to interconnect a, a, a customer. So it can be a, a very lengthy process for someone to get six months, you know, overall between the permitting. And, and so bringing these solutions online is absolutely critical. But one of the things that I want to hit home is be, there is a huge pool of assets that are sitting out in the field that are not being utilized. We have batteries. We have so many batteries across our territories, along with these PV systems that can provide grid services back to the grid. And so that, that in and of itself is a huge opportunity cost. Um, and in order to, um, to to essentially fill that gap, we have to we have to come up with a way for the companies to to get warm to this idea that these assets can provide these types of services, not just giant batteries or you know fossil fuel generators. So um, I'll stop there and then let let you follow up. Sorry, <laughs> it's an exciting one. Well, I, I have a, a question that um, it, maybe it's um, sort of a John Everyman question, but um, so you have the legislature. The legislature is 1.5, looking at a deficit of 1.5 billion. And the same with the counties. Uh, same time, you know, some of the things, uh, my right, could be helped, accelerated by legislative action. Um, mm -hmm you know, tinkering, for example, with the tax credits or expanding them, changing them in some way, um, you know, making a legislative statement, spending a little money. Mm -hmm. um, do you have expectations? Would it be beneficial to, you know, the program that you see going forward to have the legislature take some affirmative action uh, to assist you? If I had my way, I would see them a, um, a tax credit for batteries. 
for home home batteries because of the capabilities. If we could have those local resources distributed throughout our territories, it would be it would make a huge difference in how we would operate the grid. Um, that that would be one of the biggest I think contributions that they could make to the energy landscape. Period. Great, great. Thank you, Marco. We're almost out of time, so you have to figure out how to use the next two minutes here, to, you know, so that it works well. And by the way, when I say we're almost out of time, Jenny, I mean you'll have to come back. You know what I mean? Okay. <laughs> again and again and again. <laughs> well, Jenny and, and Jay and Leo always have a standing invitation to come on back uh, to talk to us. So. Uh, yeah, so uh, so much more interesting stuff to talk about. So so little time. I mean, uh, grid services, I think, is a really big deal. Like you say, Jenny, there was a press release uh, um, beginning of last week, I believe, from Hawaiian Electric and a company called Swell Energy based mm -hmm. in California that appears that uh, the commission has signed off on on one mm -hmm. of hopefully many more to come agreements where, I mean, I have a PV system on my home. I have a Tesla Powerwall on my home, as thousands of more people are doing as well. And to be able to offer uh, the use, so to speak, the benefits of my Powerwall, my solar to Helco for some type of compensation, of course, because, you know, of course. You know, as much as we want to be all altruistic, that's uh, typically doesn't happen uh, all the time. So it's really going to be kind of devil in the details, right? Uh, a typical homeowner is going to say, okay, on the downside, uh, I'm going to be losing some of the control of my own system, right? Mm -hmm. And on the upside, they're going to get some kind of compensation. And that's, you know, this is what I call truly the brave new energy frontier mm -hmm. that we, California, and a few other states, Vermont, if I'm not mistaken, Green Power over there, Green Mountain Power. I mean, a few states are pioneering this, and we are definitely leaders in that uh that that effort so i really commend you and i, I hope we can go faster here because sure. you know there are more and more batteries going in and rather than think about new generation of multi-megawatts uh and especially in oahu we're talking about the AES coal plant being shut down no later than the end of next year right there's really a you know a screaming demand to get our act together collectively as soon as possible. So any efforts that you and your your team over there, your great team can can do to help out, which I know you're doing, you know, are much appreciated. Yeah, yeah. my sense is that we're we're doing okay, even in the time of COVID. We're making progress. We're doing yeah. installations. Uh, mm -hmm. You guys are doing creative things. You're you're taking a look at the hard issues and uh, working on them. And um, you know, COVID hasn't really stopped the uh, the energy. You know, development, yeah. evolution in a life. No, it hasn't. You're right. You're right. Yeah, that's great. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Jenny. Jenny Potter, PUC Commissioner. Uh, yep. We'd love to have you on. And Marco, thank you so much for arranging this. Uh, we'll have another show in two weeks' time, and we'll enjoy. And and soon enough, Jenny, we'll be we'll be asking you to come back. I know we will. That sounds so wonderful. <laughs> Great. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure, gentlemen. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Absolute tootly.